Welcome to episode 55 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. 
I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 55 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And I am not just here with Jen Stevens. We have a very, very, very special guest today that we are so excited about. We have JJ Virgin on the podcast. JJ, how are you? I am awesome. Thanks for having me. Now, our listeners are probably pretty familiar with JJ. She's absolutely amazing, but a little bit about her before we jump in. So JJ is a celebrity nutrition expert, a fitness hall of famer, a podcaster, and a New York Times bestselling author. She wrote The Virgin Diet and JJ Virgin Sugar Impact Diet and many other books as well. She's also a board certified nutrition specialist. She's certified in holistic nutrition. Uh, Her latest book is called Warrior Mom. It's an inspirational guide for warriors. But her focus is often on teaching clients how to break through their food and carbohydrate intolerances so that they can lose weight and transform their their health and their lives. And we are really big here on the Intermittent Fasting Podcast on breaking through (laughs) food and carb intolerances and becoming fat burners rather than sugar burners. So JJ, we are just so thrilled to have you. I'm so happy to be here. Love this subject. And I love your, I love your book title, by the way, too. So shout out on that. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Yeah. So there are so many topics that we can cover. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but I thought something that we could start with since it's your forte is what is the difference between being a fat burner and a sugar burner? Because I know that's something that we're really big on here with intermittent fasting. So would you like to talk about that? Right. Cause who wants to be a sugar? Burner? I know. I know <laughs> when you really get what it is. I mean, here's the thing I I've been in this industry for 30 plus years. And so I had to survive the low fat, high carb craze. And I still remember when we decided that, you know, not we, not me, I'm not included in this silliness, but when it came out that fat was doing all these terrible things and that we should go fat free. And all of a sudden fat was being pulled out of everything. And it changed the game because where it used to be that you'd have breakfast, lunch, dinner, all of a sudden we needed to snack. And all the nutritionists were coming out saying, you should graze because when you don't eat any fat and I got down to as low as 10 grams of fat per day, I was like insane with this whole thing, but I was working at Pritikin at the time and it was 10% from fat recommendations. And when you take the fat out of the diet, you're hungry all the time. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So like we were all eating these high carb, more um, vegan style diets, starving to death. So it was like 
breakfast snack, lunch snack, dinner snack. I mean, you just were eating all day long. I, I remember I was a trainer at the time and I just had like, you know, bread and um, actually a lot of bread and bagels as gross as that sounds and rice cakes, like just oh, yeah. in, in black licorice, just snacking on this stuff. And that's the classic sign that you're a sugar burner when you can't go more than two to three hours before you are like that perfect term hangry, you know, like you have to get something where you're relying on the next, um, you know, the next hit of food for your energy because you're, uh, you know, somewhat insulin resistant and you cannot access stored fat for fuel and you've trained your body to do it. So the classic signs are you can't go more than two to three hours before eating again and feeling really crappy. And I, and I honestly remember being at the gym and feeling so shaky and it's ridiculous. I was in my twenties, you know, um, and I didn't know what it was at the time because I was an exercise physiologist and we weren't we were not learning this piece of the pu- puzzle. It was way back before exercise endocrinology. But the other sign, and this is such a key one, is if and this is why when you're losing weight, you've got to look at your weight, your body fat and your waist and hip measurements, because if you're losing weight, but your waist is not changing, if you're losing weight without losing your waist, you're making yourself worse, not better. And that is a classic sign of a sugar burner. They just become a smaller potato on stilts. They look like a potato on stilts and it just, you know, their arms and legs lose weight, but nothing happens around their midsection. Oh, I think that's a great tip. That's a really good one. There are sort of like multiple ways to become a fat burner. So you could do it through diet by cutting out the carbs and everything like that. But we also find here uh, with intermittent fasting that that is a good way to become a fat burner as well. Um, Even with (laughs) people who don't exactly go crazy low carb in their eating window, so how do you feel about that, JJ? Like, how do you become a fat burner? And do you think that it's necessary to go like the low carb diet route? Or how do you feel about intermittent fasting to become a fat burner? What are your thoughts? So here's the way I look at all of diet, because, you know, <clears throat> all my friends are in the health field. And um, it's interesting because you put everybody in a room and it's just this big, you know, there's vegans on one side and then there's paleos and there's fasting and then there's snacking. It's like, okay, guys. And, you know, I look at it and there's a couple thoughts. Number one, what if it all worked? Because in some ways, you know, it all does. Like, what should you be doing? Well, it depends on your lifestyle. It depends on what's going on with your health at the time. It depends on your genetics. So, like, these things all factor in. But then I think we can look at, like, endocrinology and physiology, you know, our biology hasn't changed. We've actually become more damaged because of all the toxins and because of the way we live our life. But I think there's some really key things here of looking at not just what you're eating, but when you're eating. And it's so clear to me that at the very least, if you put into your diet to shut that kitchen down after dinner and eat dinner earlier and then lock it down, like, you know, if we could have a, a lockdown situation, I'd love to create this big alarm system that, you know, the minute you're done with dinner, it's like the walls come down, it's locked down, you cannot get in the kitchen no matter what, and you the car won't work. So there's no more eating. And then you give yourself a good 12-hour at least overnight fast before you eat again. Just if we just did that, oh, my gosh, things would change dramatically for people. But that's just one piece of it. Like I look at it and I go, why wouldn't we do as many things as possible in one by one so you don't overwhelm someone? But I know that if you're trying to become a fat burner and you're doing intermittent fasting but your sleep sucks, it's not going to work. 
you'll be more insulin resistant. If you're hugely stressed, it's not going to work, right? If you're eating a ton of fructose, it's not going to work. So, you know, I look at it and go, I think that you want to do this great this great equation of add intermittent fasting plus the right diet composition. And really the biggest thing you can help to improve uh, insulin sensitivity and fat burning is to lower your sugar impact. And then make sure you're getting good sleep and dealing with stress and then doing exercise that helps. I mean, the, the fastest way to improve insulin sensitivity is to, you know, is to do high intensity interval training and resistance training because you start getting insulin sensitive in your muscles quickly. Yeah. So you touched on a lot of topics there. And it's actually interesting. So for me personally, I adopted a super low carb diet before I did intermittent fasting. That was how I originally became, I guess, a fat burner. Um, And then I adopted intermittent fasting. I was still super low carb. I actually now have more carbs in my eating window, but I find that I'm still like because I have the I've built the metabolic machinery to burn fat and I do a one meal a day intermittent fasting pattern that it still works and during the day I I'm, I feel like I'm a fat burner still works and then I still have adequate paleo <laughs> whole food carbs at night. Um, Jen, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting how um, Melanie and I came into it both from low carb initially. I was doing keto but not losing any weight on keto. And then I went, switched over to intermittent fasting, but also reintroduced all carbs at that time and um, immediately started finally losing some weight and was astonished. See, I had a, one of those keto breathalyzers that you could use. Um, I was astonished that I was still you know, having ketosis during the fast, even though I had reintroduced carbs during the eating window. And I think that becoming a fat burner before starting intermittent fasting really did help with the transition because I had shifted over. So, um, it's, it's been great, but now I do eat all carbs, but I do tend to gravitate towards a whole foods type, um, eating pattern. It's how I feel the best. And see, that's, what's important. What you guys both just said, because, you know, where one of the things the sugar impact diet takes people through is to figure out how many carbs you feel best on. Right. And that can change too. You know, I mean, if you've got autoimmune disease and you're under a tremendous amount of stress and keto is not the, the right choice for you. <laughs> yep. Right. I mean, it's like, want to feel worse fast? Go for that. I really think that my time on, on keto or, or trying it, even though I didn't lose any weight, I think it really kind of did like a reset as far as like insulin sensitivity for me. So when I was, and it kind of healed some things that needed healing so that when I reintroduced the carbs, my body was ready and finally able to access my fat stores. So, you know, 80, 85 pounds later, maintaining as a breeze and thank goodness for intermittent fasting. (laughs) And then JJ, like you touched on the sleep topic. I know that is really huge and we get a lot of questions about sleep from listeners and if you're like if your sleep and your stress isn't in check, like basically there's a lot of reasons that intermittent fasting might not work for people at certain times. And I think it's important to take in the whole picture. So I think the sleep is huge. And like some people find because a lot of our listeners do the one meal a day and they eat pretty late at night or they eat dinner. And um most of them find that they sleep better, but then I think some do struggle with sleep issues. So I think it's really a it's like a puzzle trying to figure that all, figure that all out. 
I get asked all the time, it's like, well, you know, I, I work till this time or I do the graveyard, or, uh, you know, it's like, and so you've still got to look at these things and go, all right, let's look at your situation, what's going to work best for you. But I, I really believe that if you're going to do the two, two meals a day, the best meal to skip is breakfast, or I'm sorry, it's dinner, not breakfast. Oh, really? Very interesting. You would advocate a, an earlier time window. What I like people to do is have breakfast a little bit later and dinner a little bit earlier if they need to have a little something in between snack. But like, you know, it's great on the weekends because on the weekends you can sleep in a bit, have have brunch and then have an early dinner. Like yesterday, that's what I did. I had breakfast around 10-ish, maybe 11. And then I had like, I had literally dinner at five, shut down. And then you were you were done. Jen, do you find in your Facebook groups that many listeners fall or many, I guess, readers do that approach the earlier? Um, no, there are some that find that it works better for them. Typically, though, we find the, the members of the group tend to gravitate towards the evening window just because, you know, working during the day and getting home and having dinner with their families. I think that's why most people end up with the evening window. Um, it's also not suggested that you have your wine, you know, early in the middle of the day. Wine, no wine for breakfast. That's not what I'm No wine for breakfast. So, no, but there really are people who find that they do better with an early window. So we recommend experimenting and see what feels the most like a lifestyle. And when you find that, it, it kind of all falls into place. Yeah, I know for me, it's kind of funny. I've been doing the one meal a day dinner only for about like six or seven years. So it's been quite a while. But I have recently been experimenting with opening my window earlier, especially with all the research that comes out with circadian rhythms and um, like when is the best time to eat from historical perspective and circadian clocks. So I've been experimenting with eating earlier. It's not working for me quite, quite yet. Do you t tend to be an early bird or a night owl? Because that's genetic too. I'm a night. I am such a night owl. It's crazy. See, I'm an early bird, so that uh -huh. is the difference. And that's and the, those are. It was very interesting when I first started doing all this a gazillion years ago. I was like, you have to go to bed between nine and ten. And then I started to work with a bunch of artists, and artists are not early birds. It, it, it is very interesting. I'm, I bet you, if you looked at like creativity genes. And, um, you know, circadian genes, it just seems like all of the most artistic people, it's like it, it's they all tend to get all of that happening at night. I'm completely useless in the evening. I have to get up early, do all that. And so I I don't know why yet, but I've just seen it so much. So that might be why you are more of the evening. You'll eat dinner. If I'm going to skip a meal, I could care less about dinner, but I can only go so long in the morning before I have to eat. Well, that is fascinating. I love that. And I bet there's something to it. I have um, two sons and one is an artist. And, <laughs> he, and this, yes, I, I think you're probably right. That's fascinating. Now I want to figure out why. Mm -hmm. I love that. But, you know, I think that's an interesting point because it shows that circadian rhythms are not the same for everyone. We all have our different are different tendencies. Yeah, I mean, there's the over there's the basic circadian rhythm, and then there's your genetics laid on top of it. And I still think it doesn't mean, hey, go ahead and stay up till three or four in the morning. I had one rock star I was working with, and he just went to bed at four a.m. That's I was like, no, this is not. I mean, we're going to have to get this to, <laughs> to midnight. We had to. It took us a while because it was like you know, 
changing. It was like changing time zones. But, you know, that was how I would work in there as my people on Broadway, et cetera. I'm like, okay, let's get to bed at least by midnight and wake up between eight and nine. That's how we can do it. Oh, see, that's even rough for me. I'm a late, I'm a late bird. I've actually heard that um, people who are late night, like pe- like late night owls have naturally longer circadian rhythms than people who are early birds and they have like slightly shorter circadian rhythms than the 24 hour cycle, which is pretty interesting. And- Here's another interesting one when you look at that, which I, I read this in T.S. Wiley's um, sleep book years ago. And I go, that makes so much sense is, you know, and it's the answer to the people that are like gorging on fruit that always makes me crazy. To act like fruit, some kind of free food, you know, and it's like, come on, it's all, it's, it still has sugar in it. Granted fruits a lot different than juice or dried fruit or fruit juice concentrate. But if you look at when we have fruit at the plenty, it's during the longest days of the year. It's when we're most insulin resistant because we'd be sleeping the least thousand, 2000, 10,000 years ago, right? Because we didn't, we wouldn't have blacked out things. We would have been up more. Then during the winter, we have the shortest days. We're going to be sleeping more. We're more insulin sensitive. We're able to access more stored fat for fuel. Oh, that's fascinating. I love Isn't that the coolest stuff ever? I know. Geek out. Yes, that really is. Yay. (laughs) I've got another fruit one. I, I read that, um, it's possible that when you eat fruit, because we eat fruit now all the time rather than seasonally, and I read that it can affect your vitamin D production because it assumes when you're eating fruit that it's summer, so you're getting adequate vitamin D. So it, it can actually, I don't know if this is true, but I did read that it could potentially downregulate vitamin D production by eating fruit all year long. Maybe that's why we have so much vitamin D deficiency. It is in, I mean, that and sunscreen. I know. It's, oh, yeah. It's crazy. I know I feel so much better when I supplement vitamin D or to do like uh, fermented cod liver oil or things like that. It makes a huge, huge difference. So, but getting a little bit back to the intermittent fasting things, do you have any tips or tricks for people who want to start IF? Do you think that they should? do a dietary approach first or just jump in or do you have, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I I personally think that we should always look to clean up our diet first. Like, you know, (laughs) if you're eating a junk food, fast food diet and IFing. And I remember when the very first uh, um, one of the IF diets came out because it was right. Was it when I had written, um, remember if it was virgin diet or if it was sugar impact diet but i went on a tv show with one of the guys who'd written it um written um sinchenko david sinchenko had written one of them and you know you can eat what it was very funny because here this guy had written um eat this not that now he's saying you can eat that just only eat it within eight hours right and i'm like this is really bad branding dude like like you've (laughs) completely destroyed your platform if you go eat this not that now you can eat it all just eat it within eight hours um and I just have a problem with that because it's you know I come from the world of food intolerance with the virgin diet and if you eat a food that doesn't work for you it doesn't matter if it's within an eight hour window or not it's going to hurt you you know so I still think that the first step should really be to unprocess your diet clean it up figure out which foods work for you and which foods don't lower your sugar impact 
and really good get good meal composition. Make sure at each meal you've got some protein. Make sure you've got uh, non-starchy veggies. You've got some um, healthy fats. And then optional is how many of the what I call low-impact carbs you're going to have because you'll get carbs from the vegetables, but it's just that's kind of the range that we can go in. And then we can start to work on you know as well when you eat. And I think the easiest way to start IF is just to do that 12-hour overnight fast. That, to me, is the simple thing. And then to move from there. I like to transition people into things and taper them with simple swaps because I think it sets them up to succeed. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great suggestion rather than trying to do everything all at once. Yeah. You know, pick something you can do and, and start there. And, and that's a really important one. I will never um, – I will never give someone, okay, we're going to change your diet. Now you're going to, and exercise and get to sleep. Like all the stuff that helps with you being a fat burner. Well, I only pick one at a time because the minute you give people more than one, then they do nothing. Yeah. It's too overwhelming. Unless they're ex- extremists and they're like, they, they want to do it all. Speaking about food, sens- food sensitivities. Um, so that's something that we talk about on the podcast a lot because we do get a lot of questions from listeners trying to figure out, you know, how how to deal with having problems even with their intermittent fasting lifestyle and often it does come down to what they're eating. I know Jen is super lucky. She does well with like all the foods. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm super sensitive and have to be sort of pretty crazy. So that's why I love my my paleo lifestyle. So we get we get the two perspectives on that for sure. I I find most people react to something and feel better when they don't. I remember I was listening to one of your I think I don't know if it was one of your podcasts or if it was on the keto summit or something like that. Um, but I really liked what you were saying. You were talking about how the one food that you can't give up is probably the food you need to give up you're most likely reacting to when you're looking at food intolerance and we can become, you know, we can, we can have an intolerance to a food for a couple different reasons. One could just be genetics, you know, a gluten, um, from celiac disease and then lactose intolerance or fructose malabsorption. One is, you know, hormonally, if, if you've got insulin resistance or cortisol issues, but the biggest one really is your immune system and this developed food intolerance due to your gut being more permeable. And the way it works is it's these foods you're eating all the time and your body, uh, first, you're probably not chewing enough and digesting well. And if you're over the age of 30, 35, it's kind of a, you know, no brainer that that's happening because our hydrochloric acid goes down because of that, because of stress. And then it gets to your small intestine where stress and gluten and pain medications and fructose uh, make your gut more permeable. And then your gut microbiome will also impact that. So any kind of antibiotics, um, lack of fiber or fermented foods, GMOs, artificial sweeteners can start to change your gut microbiome as well. So then this food goes out into circulation and your body looks at it as a foreign invader, launches an immune attack against it with antibodies that grab onto this antigen. They form an immune complex. And if it was just a little bit every once in a while, your body would then use macrophages, would eat it, and you'd get rid of it. But the problem is it's it's small amounts every single day. So these immune complexes build up. And then your body starts creating antibodies to be ready. And the antibodies make your body crave the very food that's hurting it. 
So that made me think of a few questions that I personally am fascinated with. So this is me being selfish. (laughs) Um, How do you feel about the difference between like IgE antibodies and uh, IgE and then like IgG? Because I've recently been um, researching the food intolerances and the IgG reactions. And some people say that that's actually an indicator of tolerance to certain foods rather than intolerance. Do you have any thoughts on that? So here's the thing that I used to do a lot of food sensitivity testing. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. IgE to me doesn't, you kind of know if you have an IgE, you eat something, you break out in hives. I mean, they're like extreme reactions and it's immediate, right? So you'd have to kind of not be paying attention to not know. I mean, these are immediate big reactions. It's like the peanut allergy, you know, the anaphylaxis. The IgG, there's ones and fours, and ones are ones that are pre, are happening now, and four is a long term that your body's now adapted to and become intolerant to. And yes, it's it's developed this tolerance by producing these antibodies that create low grade symptoms because the immune complex is built up. It's not a good thing. Here's my take on it, and this is where I'm, you know, the most important part. There's a lot of different ways to test. Some of them give a lot of false positives, some don't. But I, I did testing for years. What I saw is the same foods always showed up in 80% of the people, and then there's be, you know, 90%. There'd be a couple outliers here and there, but they were very. That, that was the, that was the minority by a landslide. And I looked at it and I thought, you know, there's all these different ways we could become reactive to a food. And the testing doesn't necessarily show all these ways, and it's expensive and it takes time. Really, the best thing to do is to pull all the most common culprits out for at least three weeks. Give your body a chance to detoxify and reset and establish a new normal. Then go back one by one, four days at a time, because you got to give your your body a chance to respond. Because what I found is most people respond within a couple hours. Some people, it can take up to three days, and then you want to have another kind of washout day, and then you can test the next food. But that's what's really important, because, you know, I know when I eat gluten, my fingers and my knees swell up. When I eat dairy, I get congested, and my um, my throat, I have to clear my throat, my face breaks out. You know, so I know these things. I know what the how these foods make me feel. It is really clear because I've pulled them out, detoxed, reset, test them. So what difference does a test, what a test say mean? It doesn't matter, right? And so that's where, and, and I think the most empowering thing, I feel that we should be our own personal health detectives, that we really need to go through the process because once you do that and you know how a food makes you feel, it's a whole different conversation when someone goes, oh, are you going to cheat a little bit? It's like, well, if I know that this breaks me out or if I know that this is going to make my joints ache for a couple of days, it's really a different conversation. It's like, why the heck would I want to do that, right? So that's why I prefer to do it this way and to really take that time. And then if we've gone through that process and things like their you know, skin issues, their joint pain, their headaches, their fatigue – their brain fog, their autoimmune disease, their weight are not getting resolved from that, then we can dig deeper and say, okay, do we need to look deeper in food intolerance? Or maybe we've got something going on with gut microbiome, or maybe it's something else altogether. But to me, this is step one on anything is to go through and figure this out because so many things clear up with this piece. Yeah, I think I think that's that's great information to share. And this is basically what you wrote about in the virgin diet, right? I actually recommend your book, um, The Virgin Diet, in my second book <laughs> that I wrote, Feast Without Fear is the name of it. But it talks about 
how people need to figure out what works for them. And if they need to do an elimination diet, yours is one that I, I put in there as one they should, why they should try. Because I, I believe that your approach is, um, is, is the best way to do it. Thank you. I tried to make it, you know, I've been doing this a long time, <laughs> a long time. And so I've actually had to take people through things. And for me, if it didn't, if people weren't able to actually do it, doesn't matter how cool you thought it was, how much science is behind it, doesn't matter about the research. What only matters to me at the end of the day is did this work? Was someone able to do this easily with their life, whether they're dining out or cooking for their kids, traveling, whatever? And did, did it help them and did it allow them to be able to go through a process because it was simple to make swaps and be able to identify these foods and did it make a change that lasted in their life? That's it. If it didn't, not worth talking about, right? I actually do have a real life story for that. Um, my sister's best friend is a huge fan of yours, JJ, and she found her food intolerances by using the virgin diet. Wow, so I just cool. wanted to give you a shout out there for that. <laughs> but it really changed what she what she eats because she did your plan and figured out what foods did not work well for her. Excellent. That's exactly, you know, and again, it's simple and easy. And I found what happened with it because it's so simple and easy, everybody was just sharing it, which I love. That's the whole goal with it. Right. You want to change what people are doing and change their yeah. lives. I get it. Yeah. Something um, that tags into this that is motivational to keep in mind is that the turnover rate of our intestinal cells is the fastest is the fastest of anything in our body I believe right like three days and so you can make pretty rapid progress with your healing if you do eliminate the things that are causing you problems and then if you uh, couple that with a little bit of intermittent fasting as well <laughs> as Jen and I advocate you're good to go absolutely yep so I'd like to touch on something else you were talking about earlier as far as like stress reducing techniques. Do you have any favorite stress reducing techniques or a way to um, go about that? You know, I've gone through a lot of stress in my life. So um, <laughs> yes, I do. In fact, when my um, older son was 16, he was, when he was crossing the street, he was a victim of a hit and run and literally left for dead in the street. And I had my, um, the Virgin Diet coming out and it was a sole financial support for my family. And I had to launch a New York Times bestseller bedside with my son in a coma. So I have learned how to handle stress. And um, what I would credit that to, because here's the thing, we're all going to go through stressful times. I mean, you can pretty much say of things we know that are going to happen, we're going to have hard times. And so you need to have these tools in your toolkit. And fortunately, I'd, I'd had a lot of them early on in my, you know, when I was in my early 30s, I had a mentor who helped me with a lot of this. And one is starting the day with gratitude, thinking of at least three things you're grateful for and writing them down. And ending the day thinking of what I call, because I, I call this my jam, my gratitude in the morning, um, little miracles or little wins at night, what went great today, which when my son was in the hospital, it could be something as like he wiggled his toes was like a win, you know. Um, and then during the day, if things get stressful, I find one of the easiest ways to kind of reset that um, is to send a text to someone and tell them what you appreciate about them. Because the minute you do that, 
it's it's one of those win-wins because they're going to feel great. And then they're going to send you something about how great that made them feel and send you some love so then you feel great. So it's a super awesome thing. <laughs> so that's like one of the simple things, five minutes a day. I'm also a big fan of tapping. I love tapping. Sorry, so much. It's so amazing. You know, love the Ortners, all all of them, even dad. <laughs> I spent a bunch of time with the Ortners and I feel super <laughs> fortunate I've had Nick Ortner himself walk me through tapping. Um, so I'm a big fan of tapping. So shout out to the Ortners and the tapping solution. I'm also, uh, have done, done uh, Ziva meditation with Emily Fletcher, who is the bomb. She's amazing. She makes, um, meditation, not freaky and scary and weird. I'm still kind of working that one out. I haven't quite dialed it yet though. I have to full disclosure. And then I got to tell you, I think high intensity interval training teaches your body how to handle stress and recover from it. So I'm a big fan of that. When my son was in the hospital, I just went and ran up and down the stairs. I mean, that was what was really saving me. Yeah. And I think the high intensity interval training, it gives you the best of both worlds and that it supports so much in the body without being like the chronic stress of cardio <laughs> and all of that. Listeners, might their ears might have picked up a little bit with the tapping and the meditation and all of that because I know for the tapping, for me, the first time I was introduced to it because I listened to the tapping solution, the audiobook. I remember the first time I tried it, I was like, this is, I was like, this is not going to work. Like, what is this? And <laughs> I started doing it and then I just started like bawling. I'm not a huge crier. And it was like all of this, these emotions just came out. Um, it was absolutely amazing. So for listeners, if you're curious, tapping, you basically tap on different points on your body that activate your rest and relaxed nervous system. And then it, you can associate negative things in your life with that restful state. And it is really amazing for releasing built up emotions and which I really think affect things more than we more than we realize. I actually read the other day that your mindset when you eat can affect your body's reaction to it. So so true like that certain foods might be, you know, you're intolerant to them and there are going to be those antibodies against them, but I think it was like 50% or something that if people approached the food without any fear, like like Jen's book, Feast Without Fear, <laughs> um, that it reduced by like 50% their, their allergic response, which was crazy. If you're stressed out when you're eating, your gut's going to be more permeable, your hydrochloric acid's going to be down. And there you go. Problems. <laughs> One thing that we've done at our house, we've started eating dinner together in the dining room. Like I literally sit at my fancy dining room table with, with my husband and we eat dinner and, and we just sit and we don't have a TV on and we talk about the day and it has transformed so many things. Isn't it ridiculous that we have like, and I think it's kind of changed. I mean, I still, where I grew up, we had a dining room and a living room that no one ever used. And thankfully now it seems like houses have changed. Like we have, our house is one, like almost one huge great room in the way it goes. I literally have a table for 20, but you know, we use all of it. I mean, it's so crazy to have this like beautiful dining area that no one uses. So I love that you're doing that. Yeah. I, I have a table for 10 and, um, my dining, my house was built in the forties. So it's, it was built to be, you know, the old, old timey kind of entertaining, but you know, we use the different dishes every night and it's really like, it's like an event and it, it's made a lot of difference. 
I would highly encourage people to bring this practice back mm-hmm. <laughs> at least as many yeah. nights as you can. But right? Yeah. Taking time for meals. That's uh, one I've done with my new hubby that I really sucked out on my own. I got to tell yeah. you on my own, I'd like kind of sitting on top of the counter, you know, it's like <laughs> terrible. So. Yeah. I've recently been apartment hunting and one of my main criterias was there needed to be a separate dining area, even though apartments are really small and expensive here in LA. <laughs> but um, I was like, there has to be at least some sort of area so I can have a table and start some new habits because I'm I'm really bad about wanting to work while eating because I'm always in like in a go, go, go mode. So one of my goals, my goals is to really, is to not do anything while eating. <laughs> you know, just focus on the food. It's hard. It's hard. I know. Isn't that funny that that should be like such a big deal at this point? When I lived back when I started as a trainer 30 plus years ago in LA, me and Body by Jake, um, I was so used to eating, like, you know, do a training session, eat, running through, driving in the car and eating between meals with a cooler that it took me so long to get used to not wolfing down everything, you know, and chewing. And there was a great study that showed that if all we did was actually chew more. And in this study, the long chewers did 40 chews a day, which is like, you know, or a meal or I'm sorry, not a meal, a bite, a bite. I was like, it's so ridiculous. I can't even say it. I mean, I was like 40 chews a bite. Like, no wonder they lost weight. Like, how would you be able to ever even finish a meal? But, (laughs) you know, when you think, I notice sometimes I'm like, I behave like a snake. I like didn't even chew it, you know? So we really, that's another one right there as a great hack with intermittent fasting is just to chew more. Well, I'm going to focus on that tonight when I eat my dinner. (laughs) I'm going to chew it more. (laughs) That's what I want to hear. 40 chews a bite, my friend. Well, I don't know if I can do that. Can I start with 20? (laughs) Or maybe like just the first first three bites you do 40 chews. <laughs> yeah, I think 10 is like amazing. So, you know, start somewhere, right? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so curious now to figure out how many chews I'm chewing. I need a baseline Jeez. first <laughs> to figure it out. <laughs> so you also wrote Miracle Mindset about what you experienced with your son, which is absolutely, that's just insane what you had to go through. So I know we just talked a lot about stress and everything, but how do you think, do you have any other tips for developing like a good mindset? Because I know that it's really, it can be really difficult to change our minds because our our brains are wired for negativity. And when we get into certain ruts and certain patterns, we just really focus on that. So how do we go about changing our brain to really develop that positive mindset so first of all we can say instead of saying it could be really it's going to be really difficult to do this because it's say you know this is going to be a fantastic challenge it's so much the verbiage and here's what happened to me um I was not like this. I mean, not born like this. And there's definitely a genetic component to all of this. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of Marcy Shymoth. Um, and she wrote this book on happiness, happy for no reason, because she has the genetics to be unhappy and depressed. <laughs> so I um, I would say I don't tend towards being super happy. Like, um, but I think most of us probably it's easy, especially in the world today with so much negativity to be sucked into it. 
So I had an amazing mentor at 30 years old who I literally sold my business and moved into her house because she was going to teach me business. And I thought, this is fabulous. I want to have a bigger impact out in the world. She was going to teach me how to do it. And so I, I literally, I mean, I sold my business. I moved from LA to Fort Lauderdale and I was all in. And that's kind of how I roll. I go all in on things. And first thing she had me do was put a rubber band around my wrist. And every time I thought of a limiting belief or something negative or said it, I had to snap it. Now I'm waiting. I'm like, okay, well, that's great. When are you going to teach me how to do you know, marketing business, everything. So I can make bigger impact. And she goes, you're not ready yet. And basically she had me do that. And first off, you would be amazed when you do that, how much stuff comes out of your mouth. Now I'm very much trained now because of that to listen for it. And the next thing she taught me to do was manage my environment. So not only am I managing my self-talk, my thoughts, right? Because she wouldn't even let me, I could never come to her with a problem. It always had to be a challenge. Yeah, I think that's huge. Yeah, definitely. Right. I actually wasn't allowed to connect with her about anything until afternoon because she found that most people would figure it out themselves if left to their own devices. Um, so I, if I came to her, it had to be afternoon with a challenge, not a problem, never allowed to do a problem. But she just started helping me frame my environment where she t I, I stopped listening to the news. I didn't um, I didn't read any negative books. I got the people who were negative in my life. Now, this is challenging because my mother is a very much glass half empty person. She will look at all of like if you ask her, like, how's the weather? She goes, oh, today it is raining. The next day she goes, oh, my gosh, there's a drought. I wish it would rain. Then, you know, I mean, it's like <laughs> it's always there's always some yeah. negative thing. But I just completely managed my environment to remove all the negative and put in all the positive. And when you start to do that, the negative actually becomes it's repulsive. I mean, you can't a repellent. You can't stand being around it and you become so aware of it. So, and it's funny with my mom, I'll even ask her, well, what, you know, what great thing happened today? And you can get it like pin drop, you know, she just can't, it's just not in her DNA um, to do it. But I have so put, built my life to stay in a positive mindset. And then if I'm going sideways, again, I have that jam, gratitude, appreciation, little miracles, and, you know, the tapping, I have different strategies to pull me out of it because I get scared to death. I get depressed. I freak out. You know, we all do, right? <laughs> but you got to have that, those things that can help pull you out. Oh, I think those are some great strategies. Yeah. Yeah, I love that so much. And that's actually in the What When Wine Diet, which is my book, what I ultimately wrote about in the conclusion was because growing up, I actually was a very positive person, like glass half full. Like I actually did not understand how people could not be super positive, like super happy, super positive all the time. And then when I actually got like food poisoning and digestive problems and stuff like that, that actually really affected me. And it really did change my mindset more towards the negative and so I think that's been, I don't know, it's been a really interesting journey and I'm really every day realizing more and more just how important mindset is and how we can choose to think certain things and by doing making those changes, we can really change our brains for the better. I think mindset is just so huge. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 
It is huge. I'm, I have an elementary education background, JJ. I've been teaching um, elementary kids for 28 years, so <laughs> about to retire, though. But Wow. Yeah, I'm so excited. I have 33 more teaching days or something like that. Not that I'm counting or anything, right? But <laughs> Mindset. Um, have you read the book Mindset um, by Carol Dweck, JJ, or heard of it? So Carol Dweck is my hero. In fact, when I wrote... I, when I wrote The Miracle Mindset, which is back out now, coming out as Warrior Mom, um, that was really my compass because that's, I mean, that's everything. Like you look at someone and her whole premise is there's fixed mindsets and growth mindsets and that we have growth mindsets, that it is possible. That to me, the way I had to do it because of, you know, I'm an exercise physiologist and nutritionist, I go, I look at mindset as a muscle. And if you look at mindset as a muscle, it's either growing or going. So that means that this is something that you need to work on. And what's interesting is, you know, I run, I own two businesses and um, I know for when you own your own business, that it's the biggest personal development game in town and that the most successful people in business, those having the biggest impact out in the world are actually the people who've done the most personal development. And I think that's that way in life. I mean, if you want to make a bigger impact in life, you want to be a better parent, if you want to be a better partner, guess what you need to do? You got to work on yourself. Yeah, I, it actually, when I um, I heard her speak at the National Gifted Conference years ago, and um, it changed the way I talk to children, the way I teach, changed me. You know, if you if you just realize that difference, that growth mindset, and it, it can just color your whole life. Yep. In all the different areas. Good. I'm not surprised that you're a fan. (laughs) Something that I have a personal problem with, with the mindset and everything is that I will, my problem is I know that I need to have this positive mindset and I know that gratitude can help and I know that it's so important, but then I start overanalyzing and think that Oh, if I'm if I'm not having a positive mindset, I'm doing all of this damage and I don't know, it's so hard to just be in the moment and not focus on the past or the future or anything. But I love what you said, JJ, with all of these like very implementable steps people can take. So the gratitude, the little wins. I think that's really, really great. I think we I think people have a tendency either to be like reflecting in the past. Or, or moving too far in the future. I'm an anxiety driver, so I go far in the future and like really whack myself out, whereas you'll get people who are depressed because they sit back in the past. And you just have to be aware of that and then have interventions, just like if you're someone who, you know, is a nighttime eater, you have an intervention to knock it off, right? You have to have the same thing for this when it starts going sideways. Yeah, I think I think that's important. All right. Well, JJ, thank you so much. This has been absolutely amazing. We are so honored to have you. How can listeners, so they can go to your website, jjversion.com. And is there anything else that any other ways that you would love listeners to uh, follow you, get in touch with you? What is, what's the best thing? I have a super, so my biggest thing is always to pull out any reasons people have for not getting started right now, because I know the biggest, the biggest reason people aren't successful is lack of start date. (laughs) You know, I work in weight loss, so start date is always tomorrow, which means never. So I created a free challenge for the virgin diet called the seven day stop, drop and swap challenge. 
And it is at jjvirgin.com forward slash challenge. And it is free. So there are no, (laughs) there's no excuses here. There you go. The Monday that never comes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Perfect. So listeners, definitely check that out. And we will put that in the show notes. So if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 55, we'll put links to everything (laughs) that we talked about, but to that that start guide and everything there. So if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 55, you can get all of that information. And yeah, it's wonderful. And I, and I I will, here's a good quote that we can end with. It's actually JJ's quote, but I love that you say your body is not a bank account. It's a chemistry lab. Yeah, I love that one too. That's a great quote. So nice now that people don't think I'm crazy when I say it like they did 20 plus years ago, right? Oh yeah. Some people still do. They've, they've yet to be won over, but we are big believers in, in that, <laughs> in that phrase right there. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, JJ. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.